as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated there where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead into my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them all the things that he had said to her. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you this morning. And uh, I apologize to all the Kentucky fans that are here that... uh, you didn't get your undefeated season, but that's why I'm glad that I'm a Christian because Easter morning's about winning. How many believe that? Amen. 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 And, uh, you know, it could be worse. You could be a Tennessee fan. So, uh, uh, or you could be like me, a Cubs fan. It's been a, it's been a bad hundred years. So, uh, but anyway, we're going to talk about, uh, something more positive this morning than basketball. And we're going to talk about uh, the the game of all ages. <clears throat> the series that we have been in is we've been calling it "Clear Eyes, Full Hearts," yeah. right? And uh, we take we've taken this from Friday Night Lights and a book called Friday Night Lights. That the subtitle uh, of it was "A Town, a Team, and a Dream." And we've been talking about this team of Jesus and his disciples. And their dream to change the world and, uh, and to, to make the world, as Melanie said, a new place, different than it's ever been before. <clears throat> and uh, the town, of course, was Jerusalem because it had to go through Jerusalem. And so uh, that's, that's where our story has been. We've been toggling during this series between Mark and John's Gospel. Uh, Sometimes the lectionary chose the Mark passage and sometimes it chose John. Actually, this week they gave us a choice, either the Mark passage or the John passage. But I chose the John passage because the Gospel of John was written in a particular way. It was all heading toward the story that Melanie just read, the resurrection story. The Gospel of John is, is often called the Book of Signs. There are seven signs in the Gospel of John that all point to the resurrection. John doesn't care about the order of events. When you read the Gospel of John and then you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you're going to say to yourself, what was John doing 
uh, because the order of events is all jumbled up in John. He doesn't care about the order of events in John. He's writing a paper, so to speak, of seven major miracles that Jesus performed, all of which were pointing to this last and greatest miracle, the seven signs of John. Now, signs are a little bit different than just a miracle. A sign is a miracle, yes, but it's a miracle that points to something else. When you see a sign, it's pointing you to something. Knoxville, 20 miles, it's it's, it's giving you a sign that's pointing to somewhere where you're going. So in all of these miracles, John's not just telling us some crazy, incredible event that happened. He's telling us an event that happened that is pointing to a greater event that is going to happen. I've, I've often talked about Easter as sort of being the church's Super Bowl. This is our big Sunday. This is the Sunday that we have an audience with more people than we often have uh, during the rest of the year. And if you will, John was pointing in his gospel toward this big event, bigger than the Super Bowl. This is the game of the ages that will decide whether we die in our sins or whether there's hope for all of us. What are the seven signs in John? I've put them up there for us. The first sign is he changes the water into wine in John chapter 2. The second sign was the healing of the royal official's son in Capernaum in John chapter 4. The third sign was the the healing of a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years in John chapter 5. In John chapter 6, John shares with us the feeding of the 5,000. It's all pointing to another event, however. In John chapter 5, he talks about Jesus walking on water on the Sea of Galilee during a storm. In John uh, chapter uh, 9, he talks about the healing of a man who's been born blind. And in chapter 7, the last sign that points to the resurrection is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Now, if you would just allow me to be creative and have a little bit of fun with you this morning, this sermon will actually go better if I have a little audience participation. And this is Easter morning, and it's the time to get excited. Yeah, you can get crazy during this sermon. All right. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) We'll get there. But I want us to imagine this, this story of John as being a series of football games, if you will, because we've been using Friday Night Lights as our template for this series. So I want you to think about the series that Jesus and his, or this movement that Jesus and his disciples have been about as a football season, if you will, that there's a seven-game football season culminating in the game of the ages. We haven't really named Jesus' team yet, And so I want to tell you what the name of Jesus' team is for the purposes of this message. We're calling Jesus and his team the Life-Giving Lions. The Life-Giving Lions. And we're calling them the Life-Giving Lions because how many know that Jesus is the Lion of the tribe of Judah? He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and everywhere he goes, he brings life. And the team that Jesus is opposing, 
This, this team, we said that this has to end in a town, and the town is called Jerusalem, but I want to give you a nickname for Jerusalem this morning, and the nickname for Jerusalem is Death Town. And the reason we're calling Jerusalem Death Town is because Jerusalem is the town that is notorious for killing the prophets. That when you go through Jerusalem, nobody comes out of Jerusalem ultimately alive. It's death town. And so, and so the game that we're going to be building toward in the ultimate game of the universe is the life-giving lions against the death town destroyers. Who will win? Nobody comes out of death town alive. So, today is the day of the ultimate game, but before we get to the game, I want to recap the season. And the, the first thing that I want to say about the life-giving Lions is what an unlikely team they were. This was a rag-tag group of players that came out of places that nobody thought that anyone could ever amount to anything. In fact, Jesus, the quarterback and coach, comes from a place called Nazareth where it was said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? His players were uneducated. Most of them had not played college ball. His players uh, didn't look the part. Nobody gave them much chance. But I want to remind you about how the season went. And the first game that the life-giving Lions played was against the Cana Wedding Crashers. The Cana Wedding Crashers were known for spoiling celebrations. But Jesus and his life-giving Lions come into Cana where the Wedding Crashers have ruined another celebration. They are the party poopers of the universe. The wedding crashers are the ones that made the wedding run out of wine. When the wedding was in full swing, things came to a screeching halt because the wedding crashers were there. And Jesus and his life-giving lions were there. But when all seemed like it was lost and there was no hope for this wedding, hallelujah, Jesus uh, mother comes and he says to the servants, whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. And Jesus called for them to fill jars with water. And I want to tell you something this morning, that Jesus did something that had never been done before. Jesus, Jesus took the water and he turned it into wine. It was such an amazing miracle that the governor of the feast raised a glass and said, normally at a wedding, someone serves the good wine first. And when people have had a couple, then they bring out the cheap stuff. But you have saved the best wine for last. And the life-giving lions beat the Cana wedding crashers on that day. Amen. Amen. But people weren't thinking about Cana at that day. When, when Jesus wanted Cana, people began thinking, surely, surely not. Surely this team was, would be defeated when they got to Jerusalem and faced the death town destroyers 
But there was amazement in people's eyes when they saw that was done. And they wondered what was meant when it was said. He has saved the best wine for last. And there was a chant that began quietly at first. Clear eyes. Full hearts. Can't lose. Next up was the Capernaum Terminators. An official son was sick, but he wasn't just sick. The Bible says that he was sick to the point of death. The Terminators were on the move, and and his son was ill, and he was so ill that it seemed like there was going to be no hope for this official's son. But this official came to Jesus, and he came to where Jesus was. Jesus was actually back in Cana at the time, but this man came from Capernaum. And he said, my son is sick unto death. And Jesus did something that had never been done before. Jesus spoke to that man, and he said, without touching him, without laying hands on him, without anointing his head with oil. He just said to the man, your son will live. The man's, this nobleman's servants were on the way from Capernaum and, as, and, and the, man, the man did something that I think is also incredible that we need to learn from. The Bible says that this man took Jesus at his word. And he begins heading back to Capernaum. But while he's on the way back to Capernaum, his servants caught up with him. And they said, Sir, your son lives. And, and there was something in faith that rose up in this guy. He says, I have to know. I have to know. I have to know. What time, what time did my son start to get better? And when they told him the time, he said, that was the very time that Jesus said that your son is going to live. And that day, the life-giving lions defeated the Capernaum Terminators. Hallelujah. But as exciting as that was, as exciting as that was, people began to shake their heads. Surely not. Surely not. They began thinking about the team who had never been beaten. They began thinking about the Death Town Destroyers. And they were wondering in themselves, could it be? Could it be? And a chant began to rise. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Amen. But next up, next up, Jesus and the, 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 the life-giving lions, they came to this place. They came to this place of absolute uh, immobilization. It was, it was, they came to, up against a team called the Bethesda Disablers. There was a place called the Pool of Bethesda. The Pool of Bethesda where the lame came and the blind came. And those that didn't have any hope came. It was a place of hopelessness. 
And there was a man that had been paralyzed for 38 years. And he was there by the pool of Bethesda. And Jesus did something that had never been done before. And he said to this man, man, do you want to be healed? He said, I don't have anyone to help me. And Jesus said, if you'll just take up your bed and walk, you can be healed. And the man got up and that day the life-giving lions defeated the Bethesda disablers. The people weren't just thinking about Bethesda that day as the crowds began to build. There was a, there was a chant that began to rise. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Next up, Jesus and his his followers, the life-giving lions, were on a mountainside. Jesus was teaching, but they faced an opponent, a formidable opponent, and it was the hungry mountaineers. There were 5,000 people. There were 5,000 people on that mountainside, and they were hungry. It was a place where uh, the the meeting was going to be over. No more teaching from Jesus No more healing from Jesus because they had reached the end of their resources. But there was a small boy there that had five loaves of bread and two fish. We studied it in Tom's small group this week. And we learned about how that bread was multiplied and how uh, not only was it multiplied in order to feed the 5,000, but the Bible says that they piled on the score and they scored 12 extra touchdowns that day. Not only did they meet, beat the hungry mountaineers, but they crushed them and uh, people began to say to themselves, I don't know who this is and I don't know who these, uh, who, who these lions are. But we've never seen anything like this. You see, nothing like this had ever been done before. And when you begin to see things that had never been done before, it makes you start to think about other things. And it makes you start to think about the team who had never been defeated before, the Death Town Destroyers. Surely not. Surely not. But yet there was, there was a, a cry that began to grow from the crowd. Clear eyes. Full hearts can't lose. Clear eyes, full hearts can't lose. Now they were 4-0. and But next up was the Galilee storm. The Galilee storm was famous for capsizing so many opponents that came into their waters. And this time the team was playing without Jesus. It seemed like all was going to be lost. But I came to tell you this morning that something happened that day that had never been done before. And Jesus came walking on the water. I came to tell you that Jesus came walking on the water. And some of you may be in storms today. And Jesus came walking on the water. It had never been done before. And as a result, the life-giving lions defeated the Galilee storm that day. Hmm. If, who is this, who is this, who is this, who is this, who is this that the winds and the waves obey him? Who is this that can walk on water? People weren't just thinking about Galilee. They began thinking about Death Town. 
And they began thinking about that team who had never been beaten. And, and, And people were talking among themselves, surely not. Surely not. And the chant began to build. Full hearts, clear eyes, can't lose. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Amen. There was one more opponent that they had to face before they went to Jerusalem, however, and that was the Siloam Blinders. There was no team that had an answer for the blinders. There'd never been a man who was born blind who had been healed. This man wasn't just blind from something that had happened to him along the way, but from birth he had been born blind. We don't even know if there were eyes in his head. He was blind from birth. It caused people to say, did this man sin? Was it him or was it his parents that caused this man to be born blind? But into that place of hopelessness, into that place of blindness, the life-giving lions came to town and Jesus did something that had never been done before. And he asked the man, he took a piece of dirt from the ground and he fashioned it in his hand and he spit on the dirt and he placed it in the man's, where the man's eyes should have been and he told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam and when he did, this man who was born blind received his sight again. Hallelujah! And the Siloam blinders were defeated that day. Six and oh, and one game to go. Six and oh, and one game to go. And it was time to face off against the team who had never lost. The game of the ages was culminating in Jerusalem. Bigger than the Super Bowl. If Death Town wins, you and I are dead in our sins. But if the life-giving lions win, if you're on Jesus' team, you can't lose. Nobody had ever beaten death. And it was Friday night. Friday night lights. The stadium was filled to capacity. Surely this would be the end of the life-giving lions. The game began and both teams went back and forth until they got toward the end of the first half and something amazing happened. The Death Town destroyers flexed their muscles and they struck a blow to one of Jesus' closest followers by the name of Lazarus. And Lazarus fell on the ground and died. And it was seven to nothing, Death Town destroyers. But wait, Jesus did something that had never been done before. He walked over to the official and he said, Sir, Lazarus is not dead, he's only asleep. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. 
And Lazarus got up off of the field and he got back on his feet and they took the points away from the Death Town Destroyers and gave a field goal to the Lions, three to nothing at halftime. People were starting to believe, could it be, just maybe, as the second half began, the life-giving Lions fans were getting courage. You could hear them yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There was a roar in the crowd. But Death Town had a home field advantage. And soon the fans of the Lions were drowned out by the chants directed at Jesus, the captain of the team. And they were shouting the famous cheer of the Death Town destroyers, Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him! But beneath the stands, beneath the stands, there was a muted roar. Because whenever Death Town defeated an enemy, they would take their conquered enemy and they would put them underneath the stands, underneath the stadium, if you will. And they would lock the sides of the stands so that they were trapped underneath the stadium. Everyone who had ever been defeated by Death Town was there. Their eyes were peering through the stands. They were there. They were hoping against hope that somehow the life-giving Lions could win this game. But the game came down to the last 30 seconds. The Lions are ahead three to nothing. And the Lions have the ball. It was their game to win. All they needed to do was run out the clock. And they would win the game. Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, however called a play. It was a play that had never been done before. As Chris said in his message last week, it didn't make sense. Judas hiked the ball to Jesus, but instead of blocking for Jesus, he moved out of the way. To allow the destroyers to come through the line chasing Jesus. Just throw the ball, Jesus. Take a knee. Run out the clock. The game will be over. There's nothing they can do to stop you. Jesus did something that no one could have predicted. He resolutely grabbed the ball, turned around, and ran to the wrong end zone. The Lions fans were horrified while the home crowd reached a fever pitch with the chant, crucify him, crucify him. And then Jesus laid down in the end zone as the other team piled on top of him. And to add insult to injury, one of the destroyers leaped into the air and went headfirst into Jesus' side, spearing him just to make an extra point. And the destroyers took the lead, seven to three. And Jesus was motionless. He didn't move. He was dead. 
The game wasn't over, but would have to be delayed. There were still 10 seconds left. This was Friday night. And suddenly, as soon as Jesus breathed his last breath, the ground shook in the stadium, and uh, there was a, a bolt of lightning, and the scoreboard exploded, and, and the stadium was enveloped in darkness as the ground shook. The game had to be delayed. And even though they were the Death Town destroyers, they were religious destroyers, and so they would not play on Saturday. And so the last 10 seconds of the game would have to be played on Sunday morning. But there wasn't much use showing up because Jesus, the captain and quarterback, had been killed as the destroyers had done to so many before him. They placed him in the Lions' locker room. And just to add insult to injury, they chained the doors of the locker room so that no one could go in to resuscitate him. And the crowd went crazy. And then fell silent. As the stadium emptied, the life-giving lions moved into the silence of Saturday and the players were listless without Jesus. Some went back to fishing. Some just stayed at home and stared at the wall. We had hoped. The game was in our grasp. It was only a formality. And we would have won the game. Jesus was more than their quarterback. He was their reason for being a team. So now they were listless. Beneath the stands, there was weeping and screaming and horror because they had hoped. Saturday was a blur. Sunday morning came, and a few of Jesus, Melanie read about it this morning, a few of the women who were Jesus most ardent followers, they came to the stadium early, just hoping to look into the window of the locker room door just to see Jesus, who they loved and cheered for. They'd forgotten about the chains, and, but when they got to the locker room, they couldn't believe their eyes because the chains were off of the locker room door, and And they walked right in, and when they walked in, all they could see was the table on which Jesus had laid, and they saw his bloodied uniform that was laying there. People started coming to the game, but not many many came that morning. No, No reason to come. The destroyers had the ball 10 seconds to go. All they had to do was hike the ball, take a knee, game over. But a few showed up. 
The Lions arrived, stadium with their heads down. Underneath the stadium, hopeless, gaunt eyes stared out with tears. The Lions were one player short with Judas now out of the game and Jesus eliminated from play. Ten seconds on the clock stood between the Lions and the Destroyers' perfect record. And the referee blew his whistle to start the clock. Ten. Center for the Destroyers hiked the ball to the quarterback. Nine. Suddenly in the backfield for the Lions, a player appears in a uniform so bright that the players are distracted. Eight. The front line for the destroyers falls to the ground and covers their eyes from the blinding light that's coming from this player's uniform. Seven, the destroyer's quarterback clutches the ball and prepares to go to his knees to run out the clock. Six, the player wearing number one sprints across the line of scrimmage with a clear path to the quarterback. Um, Five, just as the quarterback bends to his knee to end the game, player number one hit him with such force that the ball popped in the air. Wait a minute. Jesus wears number one. His uniform is clean, but the scar uh, from the hit he had taken the other day could clearly be seen. Four, Jesus jumped into the air, grabbed the ball as the destroyers scrambled to their feet. Three, Jesus runs past the 15-yard line to the 10-yard line. Two, Jesus crossed the five-yard line and sprints to the end zone. One, the quarterback for the destroyers dives in desperation to tackle Jesus but misses. Zero, touchdown. Jesus crosses the finish line and the noise under the stands is deafening. The Lions win. The Lions win. The Lions win. The Lions win. Jesus ran to the end of the stands and he broke the chains that were binding the people who had been under the stands. And one group under one stands began chanting, Death, where is your victory? And under another stand they began yelling, Grave, where is your sting? The one stand was yelling, Death, where is your victory? Could you help me this morning? And everyone over here said, Grave, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? Death, grave, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? Grave, where is your sting? Hallelujah. This had never been done before. But because of this, ladies and gentlemen, nothing shall be impossible for you. Because he lives, your broken relationships can be healed. Because he lives, your lost loved ones can be saved. Because he lives, our little church in North Knoxville can shake this city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, it's never been done before. I don't care. We read a story this morning about things that had never been done before. I came to tell you and I came to believe that if we have clear eyes and full hearts, we, amen, clear eyes, full hearts. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You say it's never been done before. He defeated the Cana wedding crashers. He crushed the Capernaum terminators. He dismantled the disablers of Bethesda. He fed the hungry mountaineers. He calmed the Galilee storm. He enlightened the Siloam blinders. And he defeated death once and for all, for all people of all time. And he took away the keys of death hell in the grave and release the captains at that so that whoever believes in him can't lose. Amen. 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 Paul said it this way, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We cannot lose. He is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him shall live even though he dies. Hallelujah. We are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors through him that loved him. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, are you on the winning team this morning? Are you on the winning team this morning? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Can we bow our heads in prayer? Lord, we thank you for Easter. We thank you for the victory of Easter. We thank you, Lord, that nothing ever again shall be impossible for you. We thank you, Lord, because of what you did for us on the cross. And because you rose from the grave, Lord, that you have defeated death once and for all. And so, God, we live in that hope today. We hold on to that hope. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed on this Easter, I want to ask you this morning, are you on the winning team?